Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, and I love this city. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of New York. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? Sometimes we host shows about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in New York. About half of them did. We've talked about the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement. We've talked about African-American history in the city, which actually goes back to the time of the Dutch. We've talked about the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. We've talked about the history of punk and opera. Those were separate shows, by the way. We've talked about our public library systems. We actually have three of them in New York, not one, not two, but three public library systems. We've explored some of our greatest train stations and even some of our bridges. After the broadcast, you can hear our show on podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we're going to journey to a neighborhood that's dear to my heart. It's in Brooklyn, and I'm talking about the famous Flatbush. Our first guest is uh, a returning expert to rediscovering New York, Lucy Levine. Lucy is a writer, historian, and New York City tour guide. She founded Archive on Parade, a historical tour and event company that takes New York's history out of the archives and into the streets. Lucy's collaborated with institutions including the Municipal Arts Society, the Historic Districts Council, the New York Public Library, one of the three amazing library systems we have, the 92nd Street Y, the St. Regis Hotel, and Landmarks West. Lucy offers exciting tours, lectures, and community events all over the city, and I've been lucky enough to have been on some of Lucy's amazing tours. She's also the public programs consultant at Friends of the Upper East Side Historic Districts and contributing history writer at Six Square Feet. Lucy, another hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much. You're from New York originally. What part? Yes, I am. Um, Upper West Side originally, but now I live in Brooklyn. Uh, I live in Greenpoint, Brooklyn these days, so... Uh, certainly in the borough that we're speaking about this evening. Before you got into the business that you're in, what kind of work have you done in the past? Um, I got into being a New York City tour guide um, and historian because I had studied history in college and because I, um, because I, I'm from New York and I love New York and it's in my heart. And when I was growing up, my grandparents had their apartment um, was on 14th Street, but it faced Fifth Avenue. And the reason that I mentioned that is because there were all of these red bus tours that would go down Fifth Avenue. And I remember at that time, it's not true now, and I know this because I used to, my first tour guide job was actually on a red bus. Um, and so they're not, they don't broadcast out loud. You have to have uh, headphones now, but at that time they did. And I would stand in that window and I would learn things as those buses went down the street. Um, about the history of New York City. And I always, as a child, I was like, my goodness, what a, what a thrill it would be to share that history with other people. Um, and so I had been teaching in the city when I first got out of college. 
And that came to an end. And I said to myself, all right, what do I want to do now? And I realized, you know, it was sharing that history. It was sharing that information that I, which is something that I have always wanted. Um, And so I got a tour guide's license and I started doing those red buses. And then, you know, it really grew from there because I started uh, giving lectures around town, you know, at the library and at uh, the the Y and all these places, Um, you know, and then, and then I just had the opportunity to kind of become a professional nerd and really dive into this city that I love so deeply and, and share the information that I find. And you live in the wonderful neighborhood of, of Greenpoint now. Yes, I do. You know, the red buses, is such, they can be such uh, a New York experience. I moved to the East Village when it was a little uh, edgy in the 90s. And I knew uh, the East Village had made it when one day the red bus went up Avenue A. <laughs> and that was before they had the, the uh, headphones, you know, and talking about, about, about alphabetity in the East Village. Um, it takes us to Flatbush. You know, Flatbush actually is one of the oldest parts of Brooklyn. Um, it's one of the original five towns that existed um, around the time of the American Revolution. But even going bar, um, before that, there must have been Native people living in what would become Flatbush before even the Dutch settled here. Absolutely. So all of what we now consider to be New York City, we could describe as Lenape Hoking, which is the Lenape homeland, uh, Lenape meaning the people um, so the original people of New York City, when, when we talk about native New Yorkers, uh, in a real sense, it is the Lenape people um, mm. and particular tribes within that, including the Canarsie. And then the Dutch came to the area in the 1620s. Um, they first uh, set up, they first settled Brooklyn, I think, in, in 1634 or five, and then came to more of the middle part of what's now the borough of Brooklyn. Um, when they settled in the area that would become Flatbush, um, did they only settle it as farmland like they did Gowanus or did they build a town in the area? Um, no. So Flatbush became the center, as you mentioned, um, of the Dutch settlements on Long Island. So you said five, but there were actually sit well, five Dutch towns and then one English town because Gravesend, while it was given by Willem Kieft um, to Deborah Moody. Uh, It was actually, that charter was written in English. So in a a technical sense, that was an English town uh, in the Dutch settlement of Long Island. But um, those original Dutch towns were uh, Mietwood, which is where we now would say Midwood, uh, Broeklin, the original kind of Brooklyn, Bushwick, Flatlands, New Utrecht, and Gravesend. Um, So Flatbush, what we think of as Flatbush now, was part of that Mietwood settlement, which was settled in 1652. Um, And then the way that we get the anglicization that is Flatbush actually comes from the Dutch uh, Vlakabos, which means flat woods in Dutch. Mm. It's funny. There are some names that you think of being as Dutch and some you'd say, well, Flatbush had to be an English name. But no, it's actually from the Dutch. Um, what changed in the area that would become Flatbush when the English took over New York in 1664? So in an interesting way, not that much changed. This remained deeply, deeply Dutch, even when the English come in 1664. So this becomes the seat of justice in the six Dutch settlements during the Dutch period in 1658. Um, it really becomes that nexus because it is geographically actually the center of the Dutch settlements on Western Long Island. But then um, the independent streak of Flatbush itself was so strong that um, 
it actually would not be incorporated into the city of Brooklyn until um, 1894. And there was a a proposal to have it annexed to the city of Brooklyn in 1873 and just wouldn't, the, the residents of Flatbush just did not want to be part of this greater whole. And so for that reason, because there wasn't really um, transportation to Flatbush until the 1830s, you still had Dutch being spoken throughout the English period and, and into the 19th century. Mm. I want, let, let's go. There's a historic church right in the middle of Flatbush. It's on Church Avenue, <laughs> Flatbush Avenue. Um, uh, was that the, is that the original church building? Um, that's not the original church building. Like Trinity Church in Manhattan, that is actually the third iteration of that building. And just like Trinity, it's actually built on the same basis. But that site, that site of Flatbush and Church Avenues is actually the oldest continuously functional site of worship in the city of New York. Um, Because that site was actually chosen by Peter Stuyvesant, which is to me amazing. Um, And that first church, again, this is the third one, but the first church on that site was actually built in 1655. The one that you see today dates from 1793, but the churchyard, just like at Trinity, um, is even older than that. Is it the oldest house of worship in Brooklyn now? Um, I'm not sure if the current church, just because it was built in 1793, has that designation, but I am absolutely positive Mm. that the site itself Mm. is absolutely the oldest, yes. Well, then about the time of 1793, but let's fast forward from the time the English took over the area in 1664, then we have the Revolutionary War. Um, Did anything significant happen in Flatbush during the war? So Brooklyn in particular during the American Revolution is a really interesting place. Um, Brooklyn on the eve of revolution actually had the highest concentration of unfree labor uh, in what we would think of as the north of north of the Mason-Dixon line, which of course wasn't drawn at that time, but um, the New York Historical Society held that um, slavery was embedded in everyday life in Brooklyn at the time of the American Revolution to a degree that was only rivaled in Charleston. Um, So we think of New York City as this really free place, and actually it really was not. But, you know, there is this incredible drive for independence, um, and While the Battle of Brooklyn itself um, in August of 1776 is a major failure uh, for George Washington, and he actually is driven out of Brooklyn and he's driven out of New York City, he has to ferry himself across the East River in the dead of night and then, you know, and then is, is fleeing north and you'll have the Battle of Harlem Heights, but he'll be driven, he'll be driven out of the city at that time and won't come back um, until the end of the war. Excuse me, but what's interesting about Flatbush is that at that time it was called the Flatbush Road, what we would now call Flatbush Avenue, and members of Continental Army actually held the pass at Flatbush Road. And so while the the um, battle was a major defeat in general uh, of Washington and his army, actually uh, in Flatbush there was some success. And what's cool is that when we when we look at that churchyard we can actually see members of the American Revolution, of that revolutionary generation who were buried um, 
not only sort of around the church itself, but under like in the foundation of the church itself. And so it's kind of interesting decades later, centuries later, right, when you have the the Russian Revolution and you had the martyrs of the revolution buried under the Kremlin wall, it was kind of that that kind of thing, the honor of being buried under the church, mm. which they were. Of course, it was, um, you know, Flatbush was also pretty loyalist. I, I, and I was actually surprised to hear, but maybe not so surprising after what you said, that in the 1800 census, which was the second census in the United States, 70 to 80 percent of Flatbush families actually owned at least one enslaved person. Um, in fact, this I was shocked to hear this because, uh, you know, reading uh, uh, Washington Irving's Rip Van Winkle when, you know, Rip goes to sleep and wakes up and the king's picture is gone from the inn. Um, the king's coat of arms were displayed at a local inn in Flatbush 50 years after independence. Yeah. Is that for a little fascinating factoid? It's true. And it's because, as I said, because there's really no... Um, serious transportation to Flatbush until the 1830s, Flatbush was deeply sort of cut off from what would become this growing, we don't have the consolidation of the city of Brooklyn until 1855, but but what will become these growing other settlements in Brooklyn, Flatbush really was its kind of own self, you know. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Lucy Levine about Flatbush and the history of Flatbush. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back. This is Rediscovering New York and our show about Flatbush, Brooklyn. Can you believe this is show number 83? I've been on the air for almost two years. Time really flies. And our first guest is not a first timer to Rediscovering New York. It's Lucy Levine, 
who founded and who owns Archive on Parade. Lucy, tell us about some of the tours that Archive on Parade has has in its stable. Sure. Well, things are interesting now because they're all uh, online as as we're doing this right now. Um, but you know, it's been really nice to talk about topics that are. Uh, relevant to today. So I have uh, an illustrated tour and lecture about the history of the New York City uh, public health system. Uh, I have an an illustrated tour and lecture about uh, the history of women's suffrage throughout uh, New York City, celebrating the uh, centennial of the 19th Amendment, and of course, highlighting the Black women and other women of color who were at the forefront of that fight and who are sometimes left out of that history. Um, I love to do the history of Brooklyn Water, particularly coffee and sugar on the Brooklyn Waterfront. That's a lot of fun. Um, And because it is quote unquote back to school time, but not quite, uh, I do have a tour about radical educational um, institutions in Greenwich Village. And so it runs a pretty wide gamut, but a lot of fun. And how can our listeners get in touch with you to find out more about your programming? Sure. So you can find me at archiveonparade.com. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-O-N-P-A-R-A-D-E. And can follow Archive on Parade on any social network that you might be on. Uh, You can also email me personally at Lucy, L-U-C-I-E, at archiveonparade.com. Thank you. Um, We're going back to Flatbush now. We're going to fast forward to the time of the Civil War. Um, and uh, a neighborhood close to it on the other side of Prospect Park. Park Slope developed as what some people call the quintessential New York suburb right after the war, partly because of the construction of the park, which was extraordinary. It was built by uh, and designed by the same people who designed um, Central Park and also later redesigned uh, Fort Greene Park, which was then Washington Park, also redesigned Union Square and designed Delaware Park. People don't know that Paul, uh, Olmsted and Vox did all that, but they did. Um, but Prospect, but the slope, Park Slope was not the only neighborhood to be impacted by the development of the park. Flatbush was as well. Yeah. So there are a lot of, you mentioned a lot of things. One uh, being the Civil War connection. This is one of my favorite, this sort of most unexpected connections that I find when I'm walking through Flatbush, uh, which is that the man who designed the seat of justice in Flatbush, uh, today Flatbush Town Hall, uh, was not only not only a superintendent of Prospect Park uh, working with Frederick Law Olmsted, but because he worked so closely with Frederick Law Olmsted and Olmsted went on during the Civil War in uh, 1861 to be the head of the U.S. Sanitary Commission, which was the, what what would become the American Red Cross. It was the sort of medical arm of the Union Army. Um, so Olmsted goes down to Washington for that. And John Collier, who had designed this Flatbush Town Hall, went with him. And so Collier was actually in Ford's Theater the night that Lincoln was shot and witnessed that assassination. And so, you know, often I think walking through Flatbush, I don't expect to confront that kind of history, but in fact, I do, which is amazing. Um, but then, so Collier's in Flatbush, um, and he, along with Frederick Law Olmsted, will be um, a commissioner of Prospect Park. Uh, but Prospect Park opens later than does Central Park. So when it opens, 
there is on the part of the commissioners um, an interesting point that they make. So the park opens in 1867, it's completed 1873. And the commissioners of Prospect Park realize that the land south of the park is soon gonna be, and I'll quote this, become an abode of vast multitudes of people. And they realize that it should be planned in the same way that the commissioners of Prospect, I'm sorry, the commissioners of Central Park actually planned what would become the Upper West Side. They, they planned that grid north and west of Central Park. And so in the same way, they start to plan uh, south of Prospect Park to avoid what they were afraid would be, quote, mistakes and confusion. Um, and so then you start to have this incredible development because of that. Um, who was Dean Alvord and what and how did he contribute to the development of Flatbush? So speaking of that development, so Dean Alvord uh, was a suburban developer in the sort of classical sense. He came on the scene to plan in a way that would avoid, right, this fear of like confusion of what to do with this land. And so he um, thinks he's thinking not only about uh, Olmstead, but in particular about Calvert Vox, who was his partner. Calvert Vox um, was interested in what was known as the picturesque and this idea of the rural suburb. And so Alvord, um, about 20 years after the, the completion of Prospect Park, uh, in August of uh, 1895, realizes, okay, you know, we're going to create this rural suburb based on that idea of the picturesque. Uh, and so he buys an incredible amount of land. He buys um, just like hundreds of thousands of acres. Um, and no, I'm sorry, I lied to you. <laughs> No, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, but he bought 50 acres of land for $280,000. Wow. That was, what a deal. <laughs> yes. I was so ready to tell you, oh, he bought hundreds of thousands of acres for like $50. No, real estate. No, not that good. I was about to say it sounded a little bit like Yellowstone, but uh, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, so he buys 50 acres uh, in the late 1890s and decides to make uh, really the first suburb in Flatbush, which was one of the first suburbs uh, in Brooklyn, the first being Brooklyn Heights, and he decides he's going to call it Prospect Park South. Uh, and when he does, he names all of the roads like Argyle and Westminster, um, you know, because he wants it to seem very British inspired. And so to have this sort of upper middle class and even uh, wealthy inflection was Argyle being a Scottish name, but uh, still, you know, <laughs> yeah. toward to the Brits. Um, what was Tennis Court? Um, so Tennis Court is actually um, the lost suburb of Flatbush, if you like. So what we call now Victorian Flatbush is actually um, a collection of 11 micro neighborhoods in Flatbush, including um, including Prospect Park South and... Uh, Beverly Square West and Beverly Square East and um, um, you know a, a variety of these neighborhoods um, but the first one the one that is no longer no longer 
uh, extant was something called tennis court. Uh, and it was built in the same way that, that Alford really went about it, which is that this land was bought um, and uh, a particular um, architect was always sort of asked to do the building so that it all looked really uniform. And that particular architect was actually a man named Jean J. Petit, who Alvord would sort of poach from tennis court uh, and ask to do all of the kind of incredible work that you see there today. So it's really the, the genius of one man. But, but tennis court doesn't exist anymore. But there is, there is a secret tennis court actually in Flatbush still, which is cool. Oh, one of the many secrets of Brooklyn. Yes, indeed. If, if you search, you can seek and maybe find them out. Um, Brooklyn, Flatbush also is noteworthy because it has the oldest high school in New York State. You want to talk a little bit about Erasmus? Of course I do. So Erasmus is an extraordinary place. So it was it was named for Deciduous Erasmus, who was a Dutch scholar who was considered to be the... Um, most brilliant man of his century. But uh, Erasmus itself was actually founded in 1786. Uh, So it is the oldest uh, secondary school in New York State. Um, And it was the first to be chartered by the Board of Regents. Now, it was founded- Another first for Brooklyn. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And it was founded by people who you might recognize. So funds came from people like Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Uh, came from people like John Livingston and John Vanderbilt. Um, And it had a formidable slew of graduates, which included, speaking of first for Brooklyn, the first mayor of Brooklyn was a man named George Hall, uh, who had graduated from, who had graduated from Erasmus. But so did uh, the sort of great art Critic Clement Greenberg, the great writer Bernard Malamud, the great actress Barbara Streisand. Um, And what I'll say about Erasmus, which is so interesting to me, uh, is that it began to accept women as early as 1801, which is very early in terms of women's education. And the reason that I mention that um, is because Erasmus Hall actually has a connection to the women's movement in a really lovely way, and that is Lucy Burns. So Lucy Burns, who was a founder of the Congressional Union for Women's Suffrage, which became the National Women's Party uh, in 1916, and which organized the Silent Sentinels, uh, the women who would stand guard at the White House every day, you know, from 1917 to 1919. Uh, She had organized that, but she had actually been a teacher at Erasmus. And so she's teaching at Erasmus Uh, and then decides that she wants to further her own education. Um, And from there, she will go uh, to England, and it's actually in England that she will meet um, Emmeline Pankhurst and be influenced uh, to become a suffrage pioneer in that way. So she comes directly from from Brooklyn, from Erasmus, and and joins that world, which is a, a cool legacy. I have a question about the vote to incorporate where uh, Brooklyners voted and whether or not to become part of Greater New York. Um, the vote actually was pretty close, and they say it was fixed. <laughs> 5,000 votes, Brooklyn voted to become part of Greater New York. The, the residents, the citizens of the town of Flatbush, of Flatbush, 
had an independent streak and that they resisted becoming part of the city of Brooklyn. Do we know how Flatbush residents voted uh, in the in the vote whether to become part of of, of Greater New York? Um, I'm not. I can't give you the vote count on that. I'm not exactly sure. I know that most Brooklynites uh, considered the consolidation to be the mistake of '98 that they did not want to be incorporated into Manhattan at all because they thought that Manhattan was so full of vice. This was known as the city of churches here in Brooklyn. Uh, but what I will say, we were speaking about Erasmus, and it is interesting that Erasmus Hall was actually donated to the Brooklyn public school system in 1896, so before consolidation. Um, so if that gives us any indication, there was clearly some interest on the part of you know, the, the trustees of if you like, of Erasmus to being consolidated in that way. So if that gives us an indication that it might, it might be that um, residents of Flatbush were perhaps more inclined than, than other parts of Brooklyn. Um, we have about a minute left. I want to talk briefly about two things. Although it was technically in the neighborhood that would become Crown Heights, uh, immediately west of the Botanic Garden, Brooklyn Botanic Garden, was part of the old Flatbush, and that became the home of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Charles Ebbets, who was like the patron saint of the Dodgers, actually was from Flatbush. Um, in fact, to many locals, the Dodgers were not only a Brooklyn team, but a Flatbush team. And uh, some people, like my mother, have never forgiven them for forsaking Brooklyn and moving to Los Angeles, even though it wasn't the fault of the players of the team. It was, you know, a business decision, and maybe the league had something to do with it. Um uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, one of the parts of Lost Brooklyn was the famous bakery. And if anyone out there likes Entenmann's, you would have loved Edmonders. Edmonders was amazing. Um, you want to talk for uh, uh, briefly about the, about the blackout cake and, and its, its origins in Brooklyn? Yes, of course I do. So Brooklyn blackout cake, um, as, you, as you mentioned, and you're right, was invented in Flatbush on Flatbush Avenue uh, at Edmonders Bakery. Uh, Ebinger himself actually lived in Flatbush, so it was very much a, a hometown pride thing. But the reason that we get Brooklyn blackout cake, it actually has to do with the Second World War. There were blackout restrictions throughout New York City imposed by LaGuardia because he was afraid that the Luftwaffe, if they got across the ocean, would begin to strafe New York City. Uh, and so his hope was that with blackout restrictions, you know, this city would be a much harder target, that the Nazis would not be able to subdue New York City if it came to that. Um, and so people throughout, for the duration of the war were living with blackout restrictions. And so Ebinger, um, and I think it's a, it's a nice comment on the way we live now, right? That even in the most sort of dire of circumstances, there can be ingenuity, there can be sweetness, there can be kind of lightness and joy. And he really brought that to New York City with Brooklyn blackout cake. So he makes this incredible chocolate cake. Um, chances are you, you've tasted, um, you know, one version or another of, of blackout cake. But, you know, this idea of like, here we are in this crisis, you know, and here's something, here's something to satiate us. And so we can thank, we can thank Flatbush for that. Yes, and let our listeners all around the world know that the famous blackout cake not only originated in Brooklyn, but was an invention of the famous Flatbush. Lucy Levine of Archive on Parade, thank you so much for being our first guest on this program about Flatbush in Brooklyn. We're going to take a short, by the way, you can uh, read about Lucy's tours and programming at archiveonparade.com. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with our second guest, who has a little more current take on Flatbush. We'll be back in a moment. You're 
listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back and you're back to Rediscovering New York. Support for the program comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, mortgage specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all of your mortgage, your sorry, your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please give Chris a call at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good morning with Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco. That's a second flub on the announcements today. My friend and colleague at Brown Harris Stevens. You can hear Vince's show on podcast on voiceamerica.com. You can like the show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions or would like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property, including in Flatbush. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646 306 Four seven six one. Well, our second guest is special in that I've been trying to get her on the show for a while and I finally succeeded. I'm welcoming Lauren Collins. Lauren leads the marketing, supplemental sanitation, and business development and government and community affairs advocacy 
and post-COVID reopening efforts for the Flatbush Avenue Business Improvement District and also the Church Avenue bid. She oversaw a $300,000 storefront improvement program. Lauren manages innovative public art and food promotion programs for both bids and collaborates regularly with elected officials and government agencies to bring services to the, due, to the two bids members. Lauren was formerly the executive director of the Gowanus Canal Conservancy. She co-founded the Windsor Terrace Alliance, where she lives now, and she served on Community Board 7. Currently, she is the female Democratic representative for her election district in the 44th Assembly District and sits on the Department of Transportation's Better Buses Advisory Group. Lauren earned her undergraduate degree from the CUNY BA program, her JD, that's a doctor of law, by the way, from Fordham University School of Law, and completed Coro New York's 2011 Neighborhood Leadership Program. She's a proud New Yorker and lives in Brooklyn. Of course, where else would someone live with this with this kind of uh, testament? <laughs> Lauren Collins, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Where did you grow up in the city? I grew up in the village, right in the center village, right off Fifth Avenue. And when did you move to Brooklyn? Um, 15 years ago. So. And you live in Windsor Terrace. Um, yes. You have quite a level of accomplishments um, and, and, and education that most executive directors of business improvement districts don't have. It's a pretty long resume. You got a JD at Fordham. Um, when you studied law, what was your career path that, that took you to Fordham and that took you to getting a JD? Um, you know, I was balancing between a JD and an MBA because those were the two areas that I was most interested in. And my aunt, who founded a, um, an aphasia foundation kept on telling me that she had lots of friends, female friends who headed nonprofits who had gone to law school. And that's what I wanted to do was nonprofit management. So I decided to go to law school. I never actually wanted to be a lawyer, which my parents were not thrilled about when I told them why I was going to law school, but it all worked out. Well, when I told my mother when I was 18, after having just gone to Vassar, that I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore and I wanted to be uh, be a historian, she wasn't too thrilled about that. Oh, sure. <laughs> but now I'm a real estate agent. I think she's really happy with that. Um, when did you lead the Gowanus Canal Conservancy? Um, it was around 2008. It was for two years, right before the Gowanus Canal became a Superfund site. It kind of overlapped. So right when it was when the uh, federal EPA was coming in and saying, this is filthy, we need to start cleaning this. I was on that committee and then I ended up leaving. So it was around the same time. Now, I want to ask you uh, uh, one other question about an organization not related to Flatbush, and that's the Winter <laughs> Terrace Alliance. When did you co-found the Winter Terrace Alliance and what, and, and what was the background for that? Um, you know, when we moved here, I had... I had one small, I had one three-year-old and I was pregnant actually, and was concerned that there wasn't a middle school at that, at that time in Windsor Terrace. Now there are, except um, I think the Catholic school was here, Bishop Ford, which is a huge, beautiful building. Uh, and we kind of started it with a few neighbors looking to start a neighborhood association to push for a middle school to be moved in. And it ended up morphing into a lot of different issues. Like there is a supermarket, there was a key food supermarket in the neighborhood which was very old and went under and Walgreens bought it. And then it became a big, a big, um, a big issue with the neighborhood suddenly having no supermarkets. So we were involved with that under a lot of elected officials and it just morphed. That was around 2007. 
I have to give a thank you note, both Lauren and the station, both I and the station are really thankful to have Lauren be in our in our sphere. Lauren recommended a great guest for my episode on Windsor Terrace, uh, Jeremiah Fox, who now yeah. has his own radio show right here on the station. Um, Lauren, I, I've not met people who I've met bid directors before, but I've not met met directors who simultaneously lead to different business improvement districts. You had the Flatbush and the Church Avenue bid. How did you get involved with these bids? Um, well, the church, I was out of work for a while after leaving the Gowanus Canal Conservancy and doing my networking. And I had met the former borough president, Brooklyn borough president, the wonderful Marty Markowitz, who said, talk to my guy. And his guy, whose name is Carlo, uh, said, you know what, there's this bid that's looking for someone. It was a Church Avenue bid. And I said, I have no idea what that is. And he said, no, it's really, it's everything you do. So I looked at it and kind of put it aside. And then a week later, um, a man named Randy Pierce, who is now the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce president, who I knew through something, through the organization he had in Sunset Park, he said, there's this bid that's hiring, you should go for it. So it was two people and I went for it and um, got the job at church. And then Flatbush was... Two or three years later, there was a man running it named Jack Katz, who used to run a Buster Brown shoe store, which doesn't exist anymore, but the beautiful the Buster Brown shoe store on Flatbush Avenue. He had been running the bid for several decades and he passed away. And shortly before he passed, he called me and actually said, I want you to take over the bid, which was a really interesting. I mean, he was a wonderful, opinionated guy. And um, I ended up applying for that job. But then about a year later, I took that over. Mm. So it, it's been, there are not a lot. There's a few other a few other people running similar, you know, more than one bid, but they're not a lot of us. And ours is structured differently from the other ones. Are, are both business improvement districts about the same age or, or does, has one been around a lot longer than the other? Yeah, they're both early 80s. Okay, okay. Well, Flatbush and the area around Church Avenue has definitely had its issues over the years from a retail and storefront business perspective. And one thing we didn't uh, talk about with Lucy was the fact that like a lot of inner city neighborhoods, Flatbush had its period of decline in terms of a neighborhood in a lot of respects uh, in the 60s and 70s. Um, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you took over the leadership of both bids from a, from a commercial perspective? Um, well, I know... Starting with church, because that's where I was first, there were not a lot of restaurants, and that was a real problem. And there was a section that's right near the Victorian homes, which is kind of quiet. It's still very quiet, but we really wanted to beef that up because there are people living in Dit, which, which some people call Ditmas, which is also Flatbush, who we were pretty sure were going to other neighborhoods to eat. And there are people who were looking for restaurants and looking for cafes um, and we worked a lot on getting some restaurants and cafes open, and now there are about seven or eight of them, which is wonderful. Um, and ch another challenge, honestly, is always keeping the streets clean, and that's been that's been an ongoing issue. We're getting better and better, but um, I always want them cleaner than they are. Oh. So. Well said, like a true bid director, um, <laughs> Ken, uh, which is really important. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the storefront improvement program and the genesis of that and what it does? Sure, sure. I mean, that that was a program that was very exciting. It was already there when I when I took over. It had just started. Um, it was federal money through the New York Main Street program. Um, 
allowing us to give grants, reimbursing grants to stores who wanted to, stores or property owners who wanted to fix up their storefront. And the amount of money, it was about $300,000 total. And we ended up developing, I think, six different stores where they put out the money for the for the renovation. One of them is a store called Meat Palace, which is this great um, meat grocery store, but also just a general grocery store. They really, really care about the food. Like I have had long conversations with them and they did their whole storefront over and paid for it. And then we were able to reimburse them a lot of money. So we were able to pay people back. It, it was challenging because they had to pay up front but we had enough trust and, and our person, a woman named Melissa, who really ran the whole program, she was able to persuade people to do this and it ended up with, with six beautiful new storefronts that were really run down before. And the program, also the program, we had to keep the storefronts historically accurate. It could not be a new, shiny, you know, just windows, yeah. just glass. It had to have the character of the old property. So they had to look at tax photos from... I guess Lucy knows, I don't know, the 40s. Whenever tax photos were done, they had to look at tax photos to see what it used to look like and then try to do an updated version of that. Mm. What What are the stores now that, that actually that actually achieve that? Okay, I have to remember. Or, or um, a couple of them. Meat Palace, um, Downtown Natural, which is a big uh, natural food store, which used to be a mattress store. Um, oh, my gosh. There's there are several stores on there's a laundromat and two other stores. I can't remember what the other stores' names are, where it was three different stores and we were able to do the whole facade, including the upper floors, and it was beautiful. Um, I don't remember the other ones. Hmm. Well, I didn't want it to appear like a like a JD exam. Sorry about that. No. <laughs> I threw that question out at you. Um, we're gonna take a break, but I do want to mention that I, we didn't have time in in Lucy's segment, but you know, one of the uh, beautiful old retail buildings in Flatbush is the Sears Roebuck uh, building and tower, which you know, it's this beautiful art deco little tower, which I remember, you know, seeing as a kid and still when I drive uh, on Bedford Avenue. Uh, you know, sort of reaches out like a beacon. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Lauren Collins, who's the executive director, not only of the Flatbush Business Improvement District, but also the Church Avenue bid. We'll be back in a moment. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. curious person always asking questions do you desire to be in the know then join me antonia host of so now you know thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc listen in as i attempt to satisfy that curiosity i will be talking with amazing everyday people join the fun so now you know on thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc are you a conscious co-creator Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com 
We're back to Rediscovering New York and our episode about Flatbush in Brooklyn. My second guest is Lauren Collins. She's the executive director of the Flatbush Business Improvement District and also heads the Church Avenue BID. And that takes us to Flatbush and its vibe. Describe the vibe of Flatbush, Lauren. What do you like about it? Um, it's extremely diverse. And, uh, you know, we've, it was recently designated, I think, Unofficially, a couple of years ago, it kind of designated Little Haiti through a lot of um, a lot of local leaders as well as the local assembly member Bishot really pushed for this, and it it was always very Caribbean, but now it really seems to be African as well. So that reflects in the food, in the clothing, in the food. There's a lot of food going on over there. Um, it's it's just it's a really welcoming comfortable, friendly neighborhood. And, and the, you know, it's all, it's also very community oriented. I've met people from all walks of life just through working there who live in the neighborhood in many different types of living situations. And it's just, people really care about it. One thing about the neighborhood is that it has a very large uh, native English speaking Caribbean community. Actually, uh, we were talking before the show, Flatbush and personal history. My mother's uh, boyfriend, who's from St. Vincent, lives in Flatbush. And actually, my uh, future stepfather, who's from India, moved to Flatbush when he first moved here in the 70s. How has um, uh, the Caribbean community impacted um, uh, the vibe of the neighborhood and, as, as it's been evolving? Um. Well, you know, it's it, obviously not this year, but in most years, the leading months and the post months after the annual West Indian West Indian American Day Parade is just, that's one of the centers, even though the parade doesn't actually come through the neighborhood, but lots of the people who come in to celebrate or to be in the parade from other countries kind of set up camp, actually set up camps there where they'll make costumes and, and celebrate and practice the music and, and everything like that. So it's really just a center in a lot of ways. Um, and, and the same thing in the, during the holidays and, and really during other times of year. There's, so there's also, I'll say also, there's a lot of families who come to Flatbush for various reasons besides Erasmus, which I think has four or five different high school buildings within it. There's PS6, there are a lot of dance studios and childcare centers. So there's a lot of family pull to get people there. One question I like to ask, and sometimes people think it's a quick, uh, trick question, but if I didn't occasionally ask a uh -oh. trick question, it wouldn't be a, <laughs> you know, a great, a, a good interview show. Um, having worked in a, in a business improvement district, after a while, was there anything that surprised you about Flatbush, about about its business community, or about its about the way the neighborhood works? Um, that is a trick question. What surprised me? I don't know. Okay, um, you don't have to have an answer. And I've for been it. there for ten years, so everything is less surprising now since since I've been there. But um, yeah, I wouldn't know what to say. Has the bid's ability to forge business relationships with a local business owner has that has that evolved and changed since since you've been the executive director there? It has. I mean, it's the two bids were very different, even though they're adjacent to each other. The Church Avenue one the members who are all automatic, it's not an optional thing. If they are, if their stores or properties are within this geographic area, they're in the bid it's, and they have to pay property assessment every year to the city, which is what supports the bid. 
Um, but the Church Avenue bid, a lot of the members already had a relationship with the with the executive director. Not as much on Flatbush, but I've really been trying to grow that. And it's evolved to the point where a lot of people have my cell number, and this is my personal cell. So I have, we'll say a few weeks ago, I got a text at 6.30 a.m. because that's when this deli opened his business and there was a problem that he wanted to talk to me about. But it's just constantly growing and I'm trying to be out. It's, it's, it's harder right now with the, with the shutdown. I'm not out as much. We're all working remotely. Um, but I definitely have a much stronger relationship with a lot more people than I did before. And I will tell you, actually, COVID has opened this door for me to be able to really be there to help at times where the businesses and the properties can't always reach someone. And, and the rules are always changing, and we've been able to really help them. And I have, and my two staff people have really been doing one-on-one help. So that's, that's been great. Not COVID, but the, yeah. This is more of a pre-COVID question. Before COVID, <laughs> was, was there anything that you struggled with in Flappish, especially that might be different? You must talk to your fellow executive directors of other bids around <laughs> the city. Um, is there anything uniquely challenging that, that you found you've had to work with in Flappish? Maybe that they haven't? Um. I mean, honestly, for me personally, I think it was, it maybe might have been a little harder for me to break through and to have people trust me because of the way I come across. And it's a very Caribbean community. And that was something that I think it took a while for people to really feel that I was really there not to change it, but to try to, to get more services and to really elevate what was already there. Because I don't, I don't want our businesses and properties to move out. We want them to stay there and be successful and a lot of them are offering some good, you know, good products and we kind of want to help them. So that was that was something that I think was was a bit of a challenge at first. Is there anything or any kind of business, Lauren, that that you wish was in Flatbush, but now is is not there? Um, something weird and something very obvious. Obvious would be I wish we had more sit down restaurants. We have a lot of food stores a lot of grocery stores with pretty unusual items, a lot of Caribbean and African products, but not a lot of sit-down restaurants where people can really just hang out. Um, And also, I wish we had more hardware stores. We have one, and a hardware store is something that people need, and it would be great to have another one. Is there any special advice that you would have for someone who might be thinking about opening up a retail business in Flatbush? Um. I would definitely tell them, well, first I would tell them to get in touch with the bid because we're free help and we will give it to people who are not in the bid already. But I would say just really, you know, have a business plan. There's so much, there's really opportunities that aren't being tapped into. And a lot of, a lot of businesses that really could open and probably do pretty well. And it's also some place that people come when they want a lot of different things because there really is a variety of different types of stores. So you can, you can fit in well with that. Um, and I'm guessing you would uh, welcome a chance to have a conversation with anyone thinking about opening a business in Flatbush. Um, Absolutely. If, if they wanted to do that, how could they get in touch with you? Um, so our, the email address that I'm using for both bids is flatbushavbid1. So F-L-A-T-B-U-S-H-A-V-E-B-I-D and then the number one at gmail.com. But you could also go to our websites and contact me through that, which is flatbush. Avbid.com 
or churchavenue.org.org. So either of those. Well, thank you, Lauren. Um, Our second guest has been the executive director of the Flatbush Business Improvement District, Lauren Collins, who also heads the Church Avenue bid. And also special thanks to Lucy Levine for returning to Rediscovering New York and giving us her expertise about the famous Flatbush, as I like to call it. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook. That handle is Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. Original, I know, but that's what it is. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer this evening is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock every Thursday evening. The mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a curious person always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? 
I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 